Delicious, meat nutritious, and the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value and making wonderful pistachios one of the highest protein nuts out there. But perhaps more than that, I love all of the flavors they have. Their sea salt and vinegar ones are my favorite when I'm craving that flavor, but still want to keep it healthy. But that's just the tip of the iceberg. Wonderful pistachios come in a variety of flavors like chili roasted, honey roasted, smoky barbecue, and jalapeno lime, to name a few. Perfect for enjoying with family or friends and taking them with you on the go. Whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snacking game today. So fill up with a healthy snack when hunger strikes. Visit wonderfulpistachios.com to learn more. That's wonderfulpistachios.com. This is Optimal Living Daily, episode 184, Letting Go, Dealing with the Death of a Loved One, part one, by Joshua Fields Milburn of theminimalist.com. And I'm Justin Mollick. So it's been a full week since I found my cat. You can hear that unfortunate story in episode 177. But as a warning, it's not easy to listen to. And I've been avoiding narrating all week just because it didn't feel right. And I didn't think my head would be in the right place to do it. But I think I'm okay to get back into the groove of it. So I thought I'd start back up today. But I wanted to read a very relevant post or something that could serve as a little dedication to my cat. And while the post I'm about to read from Joshua Fields Milburn talks about dealing with the death of a human family member, I think a lot of us have a very similar reaction to the death of an animal that's been in our lives for many years. And I think Joshua would be happy to know that his post transcends species. So today and tomorrow, I'm going to read Joshua's story of dealing with his loss. And for me, it's a small tribute to my cat. So with that, let's hear Joshua's story and start optimizing your life. Letting Go, Dealing with the Death of a Loved One, Part 1, by Joshua Fields Milburn of TheMinimalist.com. The atmosphere at Suncoast Hospice is so thick it's hard to breathe. The indoor lighting glows soft and placid. My chair sits next to Mom's bed, her small living quarters decorated with miscellanea, niceties strategically placed to make her feel at home, picture frames, artwork, and the like. A glossy wall calendar flipped to October 2009 hangs tacked to a sun-faded corkboard. Next to us, a complex machine with a pixelated LED screen is set up to monitor mom's vitals. The machine is switched off. Tears burn my cheeks. I'm crying for the first time in my adult life. A picture of mom and me, the two of us smiling on a beach, is perched on the nightstand. She's wearing a smile and a blonde wig in the photo. This morning I received a call to let me know that things had taken a turn. I better fly down, the nurse said. She tried to put mom on the phone, but her speech was incoherent. She sounded unlike I've ever heard her, unlike I've ever heard anyone, like a dying character from a bad movie, droning and gurgling, emitting vague sounds, not words. I told mom I loved her and hung up the phone and then booked a flight from Dayton to Tampa and called Ryan to drive me to the airport. I had spoken with mom just yesterday. Her words then were slurred but semi-intelligible and she was still conscious. Her short-term memory had been gone for at least a few months, ever since her cancer had metastasized beyond her lungs to her other vital organs and eventually to her brain, but her long-term memory seemed intact, everything still there, the good times and the bad, everything from our past frozen in time. I sat in the passenger seat in Ryan's truck as he shuttled me wordlessly to Dayton International, my thoughts swirling under traveling Midwest skies. 
We were driving north on Terminal Drive, less than a mile from the airport, when I received the call. Mom was pronounced dead at 2.47 this afternoon, October 8, 2009. Ryan hugged me, and I boarded my plane. The cab ride from Tampa to St. Petersburg was navigated by a friendly black man in his mid-40s, close-cropped, salt-and-pepper hair, a good friend's smile. His radio spat out back-to-back Michael Jackson tunes. You okay, man? He asked, sensing my mood. My mother's dying. I couldn't speak about her in the past tense. I hadn't even seen her body, yet. I'm sorry, brother, he said with condolence, turning up the radio to help me cope. You are not alone, played through the speakers, and MJ reassured me throughout the rest of the drive. It is almost 7 p.m. now, last light draining from the Florida sky outside Mom's Suncoast window, sunset coming through the blinds and long, repetitive slats. I've been here less than five minutes. Peace radiates from Mom's benevolent face, though it feels too cold to touch. Not cold, cold, not icy, but it lacks life, the temperature of an object, not a person. My sobs are uncontrollable. I don't even notice their arrival until they're already there, natural reaction like chemicals mixing to form an explosion or tectonic plates shifting, an earth tremor of emotion. She's tiny lying there, fragile and small, as if her gigantic personality never extended to the size of her body. I want to hug her, to lift her frail, wilted body and hold her, to somehow bring her back to life, back to this world, and tell her I love her, and tell her I'm sorry, and that I didn't know what to do, and that I wasn't the grown-up man I pretended to be, wasn't as strong as she assumed I was. I want to tell her I would have done things differently. I want to yell this at her, at everyone. It seems we don't know how to love the ones we love until they disappear from our lives. I'm sorry, I say through the sobs. My shirt is wet. The room is inhabited by just me and what's left of my mother, her flesh, but not her. She's not missing, she's just not here anymore. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I repeat, rocking back and forth in my chair, a mental patient's sway. I can feel the wreckage on my features. The tears are a strange catharsis, a release of every spasm of guilt and rage and regret. But they are also a departure for me, these tears, a turning of a page I didn't know needed to be turned. Eventually I have to leave. There's nothing left for me to say or do. I'm all out of tears, and so I hop a cab to Mom's building. Her second-floor apartment is filled with at least three apartments' worth of stuff. So much stuff. It's not a hoarder's home, but there are a lot of material possessions. 64 years of accumulation. Everything, especially her hulking antique furniture wedged beneath dwarfish ceilings, seems too large for the space it occupies, like something out of a Tolkien novel. The living room is festooned with sentiment, dozens of framed photographs, overstuffed photo albums, artwork she has owned since I was a child. Ornamental embellishments have colonized every corner, nook, and alcove. Handmade white doilies cover most flat surfaces, more doilies than I can count. Adjacent to the living room is Mom's kitchen, where cabinets are stuffed with several eras of mismatched plates and bowls and coffee cups. Every drawer is under the dominion of ill-assorted utensils. Inside the bathroom, a decade of makeup lives in a wicker basket next to the toilet, above which the shelves are neatly organized with enough hygiene products to start a small beauty supply business. When I open the linen closet to assess its contents, I'm faced with stacks of mismatched bath towels and dish towels and beach towels, bed sheets and blankets and quilts. It looks like someone is running a hotel out of this tiny closet. I haven't even glanced at the bedroom yet. Suddenly, it occurs to me for the first time, I have to figure out what to do with all this stuff. To be continued. 
You just listened to part one of the post titled Letting Go, Dealing with the Death of a Loved One by Joshua Fields Milburn of TheMinimalist.com. And that's actually an excerpt from their book, Everything That Remains. This whole week I've been reading from one of their other books, Essential, but Everything That Remains is a lot different. It's not a collection of essays like Essential. Both are great in their own ways. If you'd like to help keep this podcast alive, I'd greatly appreciate any kind of support you can give. There are multiple things you can do, letting someone know about the podcast, or if you want to step it up a notch, you can visit me online at oldpodcast.com and enter your email address so that I can send you weekly tips and share stuff that's going on in my life. And one notch above that is to actually contribute financially, which you can also do at the site oldpodcast.com. There's a yellow square that says be a patron and clicking on that lets you contribute any amount you like one time or monthly, which is a huge help. And I think that does it for today. I'll finish this post tomorrow for Minimalist Monday, where your optimal life awaits.